Jesus has done very little to get himself to this point, as far as Matthew's gospel is concerned. This is not an up-by-your-bootstraps kind of Messiah that we have here. If there is any credit to be given, it doesn't go to him. Not yet. It's a funny thing, and John the Baptist is squirming at this this thought, this tension. He's been bending over backwards for a while now, trying to make it clear that it's not him, but Jesus, who is the real deal. He's just a mid-level prophet who is pointing the way. And yet, even if Christ was at the beginning of all that is, as we hear in John's Gospel... Matthew's telling of the story doesn't begin with Jesus. More specifically, it doesn't begin with what he's done. Here at the moment of Jesus' baptism, we haven't heard that he has accomplished anything noteworthy at all. As I paused to consider this void... The, the absence as yet of any action on Jesus' part, it unsettled me. It is completely countercultural. So much of our world, as we have constructed it, it seems dependent on what we do as individuals, dependent on teenagers collecting enough interesting and diverse extracurriculars so that they can get into a good school. I see some looks in the back there. And then later on, it seems dependent on a person honing a resume, on gathering experience, on doing enough to be noticed, hired, promoted. And it's not just the pressure to succeed, but our desire to make things better, to serve, that pulls us into action, into doing. The need is endless. We try to meet some of it. After all, we're called to, right? Well, yes. And then, what happens when suddenly we can't? What then? Such was the dilemma for a close friend of mine, Laura, in recent years. Now, Laura is the kind of person who gets stuff done. She makes it happen. She's a social worker and a dynamic community organizer. She's a deeply faithful Christian, a friend who seems to be always on the brink of organizing the next adventure. She's a passionate long-distance runner. Well, this was the shape of Laura's life until she was struck by a car while riding her bike, and her knee was badly damaged. There were months of healing on crutches and physical therapy and waiting and then surgery. 
and then more crutches and more PT. And then finally the word came back. The surgery didn't work. So you'd have to try again. It was an awful blow, not just for the terrible inconvenience of it, not for the physical pain, but also because it meant that once again, for months on end, there would be so very much that Laura could not do. But this second time through surgery, at her wife's encouragement, Laura approached it differently. A couple of weeks ahead of time, she reached out to basically everyone she knew. Acquaintances, friends, everyone. Laura had created this just monster of a Google spreadsheet. And she invited people to sign up for where they could lend a hand. In the, the three months coming up, that she would be on crutches. Some of the needs were to be expected, right? She would need rides to and from work and school and PT. But she also invited people explicitly to accompany her in less obvious ways. There were many slots each week for people to invite themselves over to Laura's house for dinner. Not to feed her, but to keep her company. There were slots each week to help get her out of the house, anywhere, just out. There were slots to be her PT buddy, slots to experiment and trying to help her move her body some new way outside, even with crutches. When I finished reading through that full spreadsheet, all those weeks, I was floored. Here is a person who not only knows what she needs, I thought, but who's willing to do the brave thing of trusting that she is absolutely loved. She would be able to, uh, she would be unable to do so much of what she'd come to expect for a good long while in those categories of productivity and accomplishment. And it was clear she knew that that was not the point. The poet and Methodist pastor Jan Richardson sums up this truth, this story of Jesus, in this way. She says, Beloved is where we begin. Beloved is where we begin. John baptizes Jesus as the starting point, not the culmination. It's there in the river, the water still sheeting off of them, that God's affirmation comes. The crowds hear this voice from beyond declare that Jesus is beloved, that he is claimed, that God is well pleased with him. Except that Jesus really hasn't done anything yet. As far as we have heard, 
He hasn't braved the wilderness. He hasn't healed or taught or performed miracles or challenged the powerful or destroyed death. No, he's been carried to this point. Carried by the generations that came before. All those remembered in the genealogies that begin this gospel. He's held by his parents, sheltered by strangers, adored by shepherds, protected by clever and defiant magi. Jesus has been brought to this point by the love of all those around him. And before doing any of his own work, God names him beloved. This is how we also are claimed and named by God. It is not because we have done anything brilliantly. It is not an award or a prize to strive for. It just is. Pure gift. There is nothing we can do to earn it because this belovedness isn't about what we have done, but about what God has done and is doing now. It's about what is to come, about what is becoming possible. This is my beloved, God says of Jesus. And then Jesus heads out straight into the wilderness to wrestle evil, then on into the pain and the need and the communion of the world to heal and serve and love. This naming by God at his baptism, it it seems to serve as a springboard, launching him into this call. He's not beloved of God because he does all that remarkable work, but just the opposite. That work is possible because beloved is where he begins. This deep love is what I heard in Laura's voice this week when I called her to unpack this story together. But I heard something else, too. It was this this methodical tapping sound in the background echoing through the phone. I, I couldn't quite place it. And then a few minutes into the call, she explained. On a whim, she and her wife had decided to drive to Muir Woods and hike the Dipsy Trail out to Stinson Beach. The sound I heard was their feet as they climbed those endless stairs on the trail. It's been nearly two years now since that second surgery. And even as she is hiking now, it remains unclear if Laura will ever really run again, run like she wishes she could. It's still sad. It's still frustrating. There is no simple, happy ending to this story. But as I listened to Laura breathing hard, climbing those stairs as she recounted those months of needing and asking for such care and such love. I was struck by how deeply she had settled into this truth that 
at the time, I suspect seemed more like a risky hunch. She didn't have to do anything to be this loved. People showed up to help her who she didn't especially know. They weren't repaying her for her past kindnesses. She probably wasn't going to be able to fully reciprocate either. She would never do enough down the line to make it all equal. Because it wasn't about doing. It was about all of us, Laura and this whole crew, recognizing that none of this love is earned. In her raw honesty, by naming her need, by welcoming people in, Laura taught us that it is neither our accomplishments nor our service that make us worthy of love. This love is who we are, how we are made, by whom we are claimed. Beloved is where we begin.